This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Mariana Velasquez is one of the world's foremost food stylists who has masterminded shoots for a dazzling array of clients. From Michelle Obama at the White House to Lin-Manuel Miranda's new movie, In the Heights. Her exquisite aesthetics are apparent in everything she touches, from editorial and advertising clients to a wide range of cookbooks, including my own book, Radically Simple. You can almost taste her food just by looking at it. Raised in Bogota, Mariana left home when she was only 18 to pursue her dream of a life in New York and making a name for herself in the food world. Coming up, you'll hear how food styling creates a narrative without words. What it's like to take on a job that may contradict your own moral compass. You'll hear about Mariana's own fabulous cookbooks and what led to her new line of stylish fashion statement aprons that everyone will want to have. This is Mariana's beautifully engaging and exquisitely styled story. In the vast culinary landscape we share, we are all carving out a place for ourselves. Each of us in our own way is a one-woman kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold, and welcome to my kitchen. Mariana Velasquez, it is a joy to have you here with me today. Oh, my goodness, we haven't seen each other in 10 years. It's crazy. I had the great honor of working with you on my cookbook, Radically Simple. I don't think we've seen each other since, and it was published in 2010. And here we are starting a whole new year, 2020, and we're together. Here we are. Here we are. You are one of the world's most well-known food stylists and so much more. But catch me up a little bit. What's been happening the last 10 years? And if you could also let us know really what a food stylist is. I know since then you have gone on to become other things as well. But I think for women in particular, there's such great interest. It's almost like a fantasy. When they grow up, they want to be a food stylist. (laughs) So what does that really mean? So... You know, over the years, I've wanted to sort of narrow that answer, you know, to really, really, what does it mean to be a food stylist and really explain that a profession that used to be very obscure, you know, people didn't really think that there was anyone behind that food that you saw in advertising, uh, in magazines, in cookbooks. And so I started describing myself as a provocateur, someone who wants you eat the food off the page mm. to prepare and <laughs> set up the food in such a way where you can almost taste it when you see it. So a food stylist in the practical sense is someone who prepares on or sets the scene when food is involved. So this could be for a magazine, this could be for a cookbook, this could be for advertising, film. It's basically that. It's taking food and making it look either delicious and amazing, or just tell the story of whatever we're trying to convey. Perfect. But how does someone get to be a food stylist? What skills do you need? Is it more cooking skills, more 
artist skills, a certain way of seeing the world, a certain kind of sensuality? What do you think? I mean, I think that you definitely need cooking skills. There are very few instances where you show up and there's a chef and you make the chef's food look good. But usually you have to shop for the ingredients, prepare the food yourself, and then make it look how it should. So a food stylist should have cooking knowledge, but also a cultural sensibility. You know, I mean, it's not only about making it look beautiful and Instagrammable or with <laughs> edible flowers when it really doesn't belong, right? Mm. Um, making food appropriately delicious or look appealing has so many references. It depends on the audience. It depends on what you're trying to say. So that so artistic eye is very important you yes. know, to really understand the context. When I was very young, I think I was one of those young women who said, oh, yes, I want to be a food stylist when I grow up. And quite honestly, I went to my first food shoot and I spent eight hours watching someone make a cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was the most dull thing. Um, but that was for advertising and it was just a cheesecake. But then did I learn a lot working with you? And I also thought that it's very challenging job and maybe even lonely and a little confusing too because you are taking someone else's food and recipes, making them um, as authentically as you can given the recipe. But not every chef's food is so gorgeous <laughs> or many chefs. I mean, I do happen to think a lot about my the look of my, my dishes and my recipes. And in a recipe, we'll even say how to finish it or garnish it or drizzle or what, whatever it is. Many chefs or cookbook authors do not. Right. So then it almost becomes your vision and your idea of what this recipe looks like. And with that comes a feeling of ownership. And I know we had this discussion many, many years ago. And also photographers get into this conversation. Who does it belong to? Where does the idea originate? Does the photograph belong to the photographer? Does, it, does the dish really belong to the food stylist? You know, so these are, it's, it's complex and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's also... What you discover about yourself in the process of cooking someone else's food and respecting that there has been a development, an idea, a vision from the author, and then having the responsibility to convey that. And, you know, there's instances where there's a complete loss in translation, <laughs> right? Or a complete disconnection. I've been, in the, in this past decade, I've been doing a lot of work in Asia. And, for instance, working with chefs in China where they present their food and I'm supposed to make it look incredible. And the appetite appeal is completely different. What they think is appetizing is very different to what I or us think is appetizing in the West. And so from that perspective, like how do you take this food and use it as an art form to convey a message that maybe I don't even understand? Wow. I mean, this goes so, so deep. It's really deep. Yeah. Childhood references and just ideas about what beauty is and who gets to decide ultimately. This is really, really fascinating. <laughs> so maybe one can tell from a slight, slight accent that you are from someplace else. Yeah. So Mariana, tell us a little bit about your childhood and your sensibility. So I'm Colombian. I was born in Bogota. 
And I moved to the U.S. when I was 17, chasing this dream of going to a culinary school, which my family, Roseanne, they were appalled. <laughs> they were like, what? It was 1999. Cooking schools were not a booming reference at all. Celebrity chefs did not exist yet. Not in Colombia, at least, right? And so when I said I really want to study cooking and I want food to be my career, even though my parents really appreciate the table and there is a sensibility for that, hosting and entertaining and the ritual of the table every night, they're like, yeah, but that's something else. <laughs> you know, that is not a that's real profession. That's what we profession. do. That's how we live. And, yeah. But it's not a profession. So I arrived to New York in 1999. By yourself? By myself. Oh, Mariana. Wow. Right after high school. And they said, OK, you can study English as a second language to kind of like get better prepared to then go back to college in Bogota and study law, which was what my <laughs> father had done. <laughs> and, you know, I do have an inclination for humanities and I do love reading philosophy. And, and it was something that I think is very much attached to food in so many ways. Right. There's not a complete disconnect. But I arrived to New York to... You know, it's just this world of opportunities, of options, of chefs doing fusion. And, you know, remember Asia de Cuba was one of the biggest, oh, yes. most famous places in the city. And and I had this chance to do a stage at a restaurant in Midtown. And I was like, yeah, this is really what I want to do. Amazing. What was the restaurant? Was it, it was called Sonora. And it Sonora. was, you know, it was this Colombian-American chef who was doing a beautiful job in this little restaurant hotel, and he just gave me a chance. So and it was that yeah. connection, though, the Colombian connection, because you came here without really experience. Yeah. it and, was a Colombian uh, connection, yeah, and it good. was someone who said, okay, you're a kid who wants to have an experience in the kitchen and try it out, and... And that's I'm how sure you really earned his respect <laughs> with that. But tell me a little bit about the Colombian kitchen of your home. Who's in it? What are you eating and smelling and tasting? What What is that cuisine all about? So that cuisine is an interesting mix between traditional Colombian food, which is a lot of potatoes, corn, slow cooking and long stews with my um, paternal grandmother, who's Lebanese. Ah. It was Lebanese. And so it was all those Mediterranean flavors as well. Mm. So it was a, a really interesting combination of the native cuisine with this Mediterranean, you know, yogurts and spices and really lemony foods. <laughs> you know, I learned to cook in a very labor intensive way. Like everything took a long time. My grandma mm. would take the chickpeas from the can to make her hummus and she would peel each grain. <laughs> and she didn't want that husk. So us kids did that, you know, or imported almonds, which are, were kind of like a really precious ingredient. She would also blanch them and have us peel the almonds. Mm. So the ritual of the kitchen was something that was very laborious and was very, we used our hands and had these long conversations. And as kids listened to my, my aunts and my mother and my grandmother have conversations. So it was about that. Well, the idea of labor intensive is the phrase to describe food styling. I have never seen, you know, it's hard work to work in a kitchen, but there seems to be extra layers and dimensions to doing food styling because ultimately it's not about eating it. It's about creating a narrative about this dish 
with no words. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> the minutia, and then the photograph is taken many, many times. So it has to keep on looking so fresh and so alive and so clean. And I think part of my difficulty on the cheesecake shoot <laughs> was <laughs> that there was really nothing happening. I think my great admiration and respect for what you do is that there is so much happening and you have to pay attention all the time. And it always felt a little bit lonely to me. Uh, do you feel like you're alone when you do this work? Um, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't describe it as lonely. It's just that you're in your head a lot. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I work with a team of assistants of three or four people and you're directing wow. everybody, right? And you're assigning different tasks, Select the perfect pretzels, you know, with <laughs> so many pieces of salt that we want in the photograph or in the video. And you have someone else shopping and you have someone else setting the card that it's going to go next to the set. So my mind, I do feel lonely in the way, in the sense that I'm thinking how everything's going to pan out, all these pieces that have to come together. You're thinking for everyone. And in that respect, you're really the producer and director. Uh, But when we worked together, that was 10 years ago. And since then, you have gone on to do so many to really broaden, deepen, widen what this field really is. And I'm understanding that you worked with Michelle Obama and that you've worked for Vogue magazine. Now I'm hearing you're working in China. Oh my gosh, Mariana. (laughs) So it was just really you at that time, uh, 10 years ago. And obviously now you have teams and maybe now people to do the shopping for you, because I remember you were the one schlepping and carrying. And and, um, so so how did it develop from from there? And I see that you also have written some books of your own. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it was really a progression. I do still do a little bit of schlepping. I do have to say that never goes away. <laughs> that never goes away. Right? Yeah, Especially for me too. if you enjoy the process of the market, You're going to the farmer's market mm. and seeing what's in season and really going deep into what you can find. That in New York City, you know, there's no trunk of a car waiting for you. <laughs> you just have to kind of like schlep it. But I don't know. It was a progression of different projects, different jobs. Um doing more advertising work that then opened up more interesting editorial work. So you know how it goes. It's when you believe that that's your passion and have the persistence, you just keep doing it. So beautiful. Keep meeting people and creating a network. And having a reputation for um, work at the very, very highest level. I know that Food styling has changed a lot, too, just in terms of rule, rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. And even in advertising, once upon a time, it was really okay to have um, an apple pie that was made out of crackers yeah. <laughs> and to use shellac and marbles, that would pop, you know, prop up the cereal. But that was many, many years ago. What are some of the regulations now? Well, it's now pretty strict. And thankfully so. You know, I mean, the consumer shouldn't be lied to, basically. <laughs> and... Some of the things are really specific in terms of food chains, for instance. They really protect themselves and they have someone on set supervising that you're not adding things to their product. Um, For instance, the amounts. When you say 
uh, that this product has eight ounces of soup, <laughs> it really has to be the eight ounces. Uh -huh. You can sort of play with the ingredients, select the best looking pieces, <laughs> but it has to be the pieces that come within the product. Um, what else could be an interesting example? For instance, in Starbucks, China, I've been doing quite a bit of work with them. And it's Starbucks surprising. in China? Yes. Wow. And they have their own, their own advertising and their own photography because of what I was saying earlier. The appetite appeal is very different. Mm. You know, in China, coffee is not historically consumed. No, but do, so they, what, do they like it? Are they drinking lattes? They're drinking a lot of tea <laughs> with things uh -huh. or coffee with a lot of milk or almond milk or other, other things that is not a black cup of coffee. No. Right? So... So there, for instance, it was very strict in terms of the portions and how much whipped cream and mm. how much of a drizzle and the shape of the drizzle. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets to be pretty meticulous. Oh, that's so interesting. And and once upon a time, I do believe things were really shellacked, with, yeah. but no, no longer. Well, no longer. How do you make things yeah. look shiny? And you can use water. You can spritz. I know you always had little spritz bottles. What are some of the other ways of keeping things fresh? I mean, a little olive oil. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. own juices of the roast, for instance. I really like using the actual food that I'm cooking with, yes. right? And getting the most out of it. Wonderful. And yeah. That's what makes it delicious, I think, for it to feel real and seem real. And I, I do think that... In our imaginary, what used to be delicious back in the 80s, 90s, you know, the perfect whipped cream with a cherry on top, <laughs> it's kind of no longer, right? Like we yeah. don't crave that kind of thing. We want the pie that's been cut into with the loose whipped cream that feels more attainable. And the crumbs on the plate. Exactly. It is interesting every few years to look at uh, what is desirable in food photography, especially. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you became successful way before Instagram. But now everything seems to be an Instagrammable moment, as you said. But I love the idea that not everything belongs. You know, a beautiful edible flower does not belong on every single plate of food. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mariana, when we come back, I want to talk more about some of your projects, your own books. I know you've worked on 20 others. And now I hear you have three of your own. Your work with Michelle Obama. Wow, what a thrill. And uh, more about what it means to be you. Here's a cooking tip to share from my guest, Mariana Velasquez. You know what I've discovered? Grilling in the winter. I think it's a big it's a life changer. Your house is all closed up, right? It, you want to keep it warm. You don't want the heat to escape. At least I don't want the heat to escape. So if you do these big productions in the kitchen, your home smells like food and there's no way to get rid of the smell. And so I love grilling in the winter. I pull the grill next to my door and I set it up and I just put things in the grill, close the lid, close the door and come back. You know, it's just, I love it. I really enjoy it. And it's a good solution. <laughs> From Mariana's Kitchen to yours, give it a try and pass it along. Mariana, so let's start with Michelle Obama and that project. How wonderful. It was really lucky, I have to say. Yeah. Especially because it was one of those moments when you get to see someone at that level surrounded by people 
and looking at you in the eye and listening, absolutely present, connected, grateful, peaceful. I was like, okay, I mean, what is that? You know, how do you get that? I was really impressed. We first, when I first met her, we did um, a photo shoot in the garden at the White House garden. Mm. And there was several outfit changes and kids from different schools came to do part of the program that she had done. And she was there and she was really there. Mm. Aside from, imagine everything that goes on in someone like that's, like that's life, right? She has an agenda. She has three assistants. She has hair and makeup. She has <laughs> security. She has, and she's there. And we did the cover of the book that day. What was the name? So it was called American Grown. American Grown, yes. It was a book about the garden in the White House. And there were recipes from season to season. So it was the chef who was the personal chef for the family. Mm -hmm. And then the head chef of the White House. And it was a woman. It was a woman. Yes. yes. From so, the Philippines originally. That's right. yeah. She was a sous chef for a long time and then she became the chef. And I actually don't think she's gotten enough attention. You know, I think she's brilliant. <laughs> yes. I mean, imagine having that role, right? Hosting all those incredible presidential dinners and honorary guests and having the food carry these reunions, these meetings. Yeah, I think her work was admirable. Yes, and think of the research she must have done too, depending on who was coming to dine. It wasn't just a representation of what is, quote, American food, yeah. but um, to really be respectful of someone else's culture and cuisine. But, you know, some of the ways you're describing Michelle Obama, you know, you have some of these qualities, too. So I think this is why you had that experience together. How many days did it take to shoot at the White House? Uh, so we were there for three days. Then we did the food in the studio. And then we went back to do a few more a few more shots in two more days. Wow. So it was so fleeting. You know, I mean, I wish we had had more time. It was pretty special. Yes, it sounds like it. <laughs> and what are some of the other special projects you've worked on over the years? So, you know, something really fun that I just did this past summer was a, it was food selling for a film, which I had never done ah. at that scale. So it was a movie that will be coming out next summer called In the Heights based on the Broadway show by Lin-Manuel Miranda. I love that show. So imagine, <laughs> so it's in Washington Heights. It's a Puerto Rican, Dominican, Mexican community. And it's such a good story of neighborhood, of community, of, of being in a place that's changing. And the director uh, wanted a food stylist who really understood the food and made the food look and feel and taste very real. So the actors were eating the food. I was making I was making these parties that they were hosting in the movie and it was it was so fun. It was totally crazy. It was one night that I was making flans until like 2 a.m. and Diego my husband was like, "Why are you making so many flans?" I was like, "Because they're going to eat all of them." Oh, Mariana, what a thrill. It was really a thrill. Yeah. How did you manage this? I mean, I don't have any idea how this happens. And I know now that I'm a little bit more aware of food in movies. Where did you do all of the work and all the cooking? And did you have a huge uh, crew to help you? So I had, well, you can't have that bigger crew because I'm not union. You know, movies and in New York, it's pretty strict. 
you have to be part of the union to be able to work on set. So I was one of the union exceptions, ah. but then my team had to be offset. So we rented this great kitchen in Williamsburg and it was our production site and we prepared everything there and then everything will get transported to Washington Heights. And I would be on my own with a different person from the crew making it happen during the scenes, which was, I mean, Rosanna, I can't even begin to tell you. So, <laughs> it's a little bit I like can't a even fog. begin to imagine. It was in the middle of summer. Um, Everything else. It was so hot. And the producers rented an apartment across the hall from the apartment that we were shooting the big food scene. But because it was the middle of summer, the kids of this apartment were sort of hanging out. So I was with all these girls in their oh. pajamas, just kind of like <laughs> it was this big Hollywood production. And here we were with these families from Harlem, just sort of spending thrill. time and... Yeah, it was quite and an experience. Do they tell you what they need, that they need um, these recipes or this amount? Or you're on your own. You're figuring it out. So I was on my own. We had a few meetings where they told me what the scene was. Mm -hmm. They told me who was in it. Mm -hmm. And then I proposed different options for foods that made sense. And then also the propping and the whole tablescape and all yeah, of that, right? exactly. All and it had that. to be edible as well. And it had to be edible. Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay, so books film, advertising, but you have also, well, let's go back to your books. You have three books. Yes. What are they? So one is called Frutas, Sabores Tropicales. So I wrote this book in 2012 and it was for a Colombian publisher. And it's almost like a catalog of tropical fruits. Mm. And I went in thinking fruits in the tropics have all of these layers, Right. Culturally, we have superstitions, we have remedies, there's folklore around them, and of course, recipes. And so I took each one, I did one or two recipes with each fruit, and I did describe what it means, what the fruit means in our culture. Oh, it sounds lovely. So that was really fun. And then... Are those fruits available in the United States? Yeah. Oh, they are? Great. Yeah, most of them are. Perfect. And I did the fruits of the traffic so that involved Southeast Asia, India, Africa, the entire equator line around mm. the world. So it was, yeah, it was, it's just very colorful and, and, and beautifully really styled, inspired. I imagine. Yeah. I can't wait to get it because I see these fruits very often in markets and I really don't know what they are or what to do with them. So this will be very <laughs> helpful to me. What else have you done that will help me. <laughs> it was a cookbook commissioned by a company back in Colombia as well. And it was all about seeds and legumes. Mm -hmm. Del semillero, it's called, like the seedlings. And I had to develop five chapters and create recipes around these ingredients that they could all be found locally in Colombia. So this was for their clients. And it was very much thinking that it doesn't have to be imported, it doesn't have to come from somewhere else, it doesn't have to be very expensive mm -hmm. to be beautiful, delicious, nourishing, and good for the whole family. So it was a very much a commission job, but it was a book that gave me a lot of freedom and learning how to put all of those ideas into a specific concept. Mm, so lovely. And the third? 
And so the third book, the Snog cookbook, the Frozen Treats cookbook in England. So there, there's this fabulous frozen yogurt company way back. I can't even remember the date exactly. But when frozen yogurt was a big, big hit. Um, this couple, half Colombian, half Canadian, opened a company in London called Snog. And they wanted to do a frozen treats cookbook. So I worked on that. I developed all the recipes and I loved it, you know, also because it was for a British market and learning about ingredients, measurements, yes, availability, all of that. It was, it was so unique. And everything was frozen. So you had to really think of ways to, yeah, to um, make frozen desserts that really, that there could be a variety. Yes. Oh, Mariana is so fascinating. <laughs> oh my gosh. This all sounds so wonderful, but I know now too that you have expanded your horizons and I have seen your Instagram. It's gorgeous. And Thank I you. also know now that you curate events and that you have a line of aprons. <laughs> Tell me about that. So the aprons really came about because I love, you know, one of the things that I did not like about the world of food was having to wear Chef White's. When I worked in restaurants, <laughs> I felt like my personality was just sort of erased. Like that part of me that really represented my character. I felt like I was sort of, part of me was gone when I wore a uniform. So when I could go back to styling or to, you know, start styling where you didn't have to wear whites, but just an apron, I thought the apron's going to be my thing. A fashion statement. Yeah. You know, something that is utilitarian, that's practical, but it also makes me feel like I'm pulled together, like I'm well-dressed in the kitchen. And so I found this beautiful top that I modified, and then I found some fabric at a vintage market and had all these aprons sewn. And over the years, people on set will always ask, are you wearing a dress? Is that an apron? Oh my God, is that a, your apron? And Diego, my husband, started hearing this and said, you have to make those aprons for sale. And about five years ago, I started selling them and they've been a, a big success. Oh, Mariana, Just because that's it's a crossback apron, has a long tail. It's kind of like a very feminine, delicate layer to wear with what you're wearing. And some of my clients say, I forget I'm wearing an apron. Can someone <laughs> wear it as something other than an apron? Yeah, it can just be another layer atop. You know, in the summer, it's perfect with pants. It's great for gardening, for flowers. It's just, yeah, something that I really enjoy and I do on the side. And I don't know, I I think if it's about making every moment count, right? And that ritual of putting on an apron and starting your cooking, then that's how I wanted to represent it. Mm, how beautiful that sounds. Mariana, when we come back, I would love for you to share some ideas about how someone, a young woman, could possibly get into this industry, some advice that you might have. And just to read this quote that I love so much is, quote, a beautiful meal is far more than a carefully arranged nourishment. It is a ceremony, a rite, and a source of inspiration. And that's what you are to us. If you're wondering about my beautiful theme music, it's called The Garden. Written and performed by award-winning singer-songwriter Audrey Appleby. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at RoseanneGold.com. 
So, Mariana, how does one start to become a food stylist? What advice would you give? Well, first of all, get your cooking skills pretty solid. And Is I, cooking school a, a must or other ways? Well, I think working in restaurants or in a catering company where you can really hone your knife skills, where speed, something something that becomes second nature, um, where you know what ingredients are. When you understand cooking from a very practical, organized, methodology way, you know, I mean, I don't know that that's even proper English, but it's, I do think that that's a key base to start. So with cooking skills and comfort. Yeah. And no ingredients. Exactly. Yeah. And then assisting, you know, find who are the stylists in your area. Find who does the work that you would like to do and write to them. You know, as a stylist, I get requests all the time from people who want to assist. And because there's, and thankfully, because the work is so busy and there's always all kinds of things happening, there's always referrals, there's always people I need to hire. And I end up working with a lot of people that I give a chance on the first go, just because I also get to learn a lot from them, you know? Mm. And so if you're really interested in food styling, you also need to be prepared to know that there is as you were describing, the cheesecake days, the endless sorting of pasta pieces, the getting the onions in the middle of a snowstorm because I forgot to get them. You know? right. All oh. those things that come with any job, you know, and, and food styling may sound very glamorous, yes. but in reality is a lot of hard work. It is a job that you do on your feet and you're cooking just as much, you know. We do have the privilege to work with incredibly creative people, very talented personalities. Um, and it's different that, than the life in a restaurant, which I admire so much, but it is also hard work. And so just be prepared for that. And how do you fix failures, either on the set or are you always 100% happy with the day's work? No. I mean, who is, right? That right. would be such a big, high, in, impossible standard. And I am so hard on myself. I mean, honestly, I do think that there is a level of demand that I put on my own work that nobody else does. Mm. And mm -hmm. sometimes that serves me well, and sometimes it puts me in places that are not so positive. Yes, that's a very female <laughs> reality or, or response, I think, in some ways for, for some of us. Mariana, do you think food styling is more an art or a, something technical? I think it's both. I think there is a place. You cannot be a food stylist without having an artistic eye. But there are some jobs that are absolutely technical and practical. And you have to deliver exactly what the client is asking. And there are some dream jobs where you get to just really be creative and put it all out there and make beautiful things that are from your own inspiration. But it's a combination of the two. You know, it's really both. And what would you say is the most challenging job you've ever had? The most challenging job? Mm. The most challenging job was working for a company that I really disrespected. Mm -hmm. I did not like what they were selling. 
I thought that it went against my principles of food, of the way we should eat, of the way families should gather around the table. And it was so hard because I committed to this three-day job and I couldn't back out. You know, I mean, that's the last thing I would do. It's to walk away. But I was so tempted the entire time because I was uh-huh. mortified, you know, of the amount of food wasted, of the, you know, they would say the butter sauce is in this cooler and I would reach in and find that it was just, I mean, no butter was present, right? It was just mm-hmm. all chemicals. Back and, to the truth and And I kept thinking, and I am making these mm-hmm. food to be photographed to sell people on it. Maria, did, I mean, this is really complex and honest. And um, do you think you would make a different decision today? Look, yeah. I mean, I mean I not, you back. would not accept that kind of job. But you're also no. in a position now in your life where you get to pick and choose. And when you're young and starting out and you don't know all the time what's going to be involved in a project. But it was a big teacher for you. It was. It was. And... You know, I mean, to be completely honest, the money was really good, way more than in many of the jobs that I describe as these dreamy, delicious, wonderful, inspiring moments. The money was really good. And I kept thinking, it's not even worth it. Mm. You know, the money is not going to make me feel better from what I'm feeling doing this. It feels like it goes against me. Yes. But of course, when you're starting out, you will have to do jobs that leave you a little empty. Thank you very much for bringing that to the conversation because um, we don't always know we have a choice. So thank you for that. Mariana, what is coming up for you right now? Like what new projects are there? So it's a new decade. And I do think that it's so symbolic that we're seeing each other after 10 years, right? And so much has happened. So now I'm working on my own project. Um, It's a project that I cannot talk too much about yet, but it will be out in 2021. And let's just say that it goes back into my roots. You know, I really have had to work on this, to look back at my childhood, to see where I came from, to really appreciate the background that makes me so much of who I am, even though I've been in the U.S. for more than half my life now. And so it's been a really fun process. But this new year, um, I think it's going to be filled with projects with film, great advertising work. And you know what? Less of more, more, more and more quality, you know, more Mm. time to do things, to pay attention to what I'm working on. Not so much back to back and more focus on quality on quality ideas. This sounds wonderful. Tell me about a legacy recipe. And I'm thinking maybe (laughs) it will have to do with your childhood again. This seems to be very important to you. Yeah. You know, for a long time, I sort of denied that because I didn't want to be boxed into a Latin American, I don't know, I guess classification, which now I'm like, well, no, we specialize. We find the thing. We find that uniqueness about us as individuals to to work on them and to develop who we want to be. And that legacy recipe has to go back to that comfort Colombian food um, on the coast. And it's very much the flavor that takes me back to feeling on vacation. So 
coconut rice with a really good piece of grilled fish and tostones, you know, fried plantains mm. and a good avocado, <laughs> you know, cut up with a sprinkle of salt. Wow. So talk about radical simplicity. (laughs) (laughs) So coconut rice. So rice made with coconut milk. Exactly. And a piece of grilled fish, some avocado, salt. Bingo. Yeah. Thank you. A chill glass of wine. (laughs) And a a chill glass of wine. Yes. Mm. Gosh, that sounds like heaven. Thank you. And Mariana, so here's the question I ask everyone. What does one woman kitchen mean to you? One woman kitchen is this enterprise that we can own. It's that task, is that vision, is that dream that we can create and develop however we choose. Whatever ingredients, spices, flavors, temperatures is up to us. And I think that every woman, even if they don't cook, it's kind of like a one-woman kitchen. They create and we create and develop the world around us, and we are the center, the hearth of the home. Wow. How beautiful. Mariana, thank you so much. Thank and you, Rosanne. How do people get in touch with you? I know they're going to want to buy your aprons <laughs> and see your gorgeous work and get in, get inspired by you and so what it's you very do. It's easy. I have an Instagram account. It's Mariana Velasquez V. And I have a website, which is marianavelasquez.com. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with me today. And thanks to all of you for being with me and Mariana on One Woman Kitchen. I'm Roseanne Gold. One Woman Kitchen is produced by Mouth Media Network. Follow me on Instagram at Roseanne Gold and check out everything I'm up to on my website at roseannegold.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.